Well, good morning, church family. It is wonderful to be gathered together with you uh, here in this season where it feels like we're experiencing the bleak midwinter. And I hope that you've spent some time this week digging out and staying cozy and, and staying warm and everything else. Uh, one of the things that's been sort of special uh, in our little cul-de-sac is that we have uh, had some really wonderful times with our neighbors. We all kind of help each other out to make sure that we're dug out and taking care of the snow and everything like that. And I was sort of struck by one of my neighbors uh, in these recent weeks. Um, the poor guy, he's from Georgia, and uh, he doesn't know this kind of weather. He doesn't understand what we all have to deal with up here. And uh, as we were in his driveway, actually doing some shoveling together, he looked at me and he said, um, Aaron, is it always like this in, in the winter up here? And I could just see kind of the hope draining from his face. You know, please tell me this is not what I've moved into. And so I gave him some reassurances that this has been uh, a particularly snowy season. But I hope in this bleak midwinter, you are finding incredible hope in the presence of the Lord. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And uh, we were seeing how Jesus commanded his disciples, first and foremost, to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, that that commission that Christ's followers would, they would be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth, that gospel message would go out, but that the first command was to wait. And then we saw the fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 of Christ's promise, the manifest presence of God filling the place where the people of God were waiting on him and then immediately finding themse themselves sent out on mission with God. Uh, what a powerful picture. I want you to get that kind of in your mind because we're going to continue on and looking at that story of what God is doing in Acts chapter 3 and following. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Uh, last week, we actually began this new series talking about hope initiatives. Uh, the initiative begins with Christ, the hope of the gospel to our world. And I asked you to consider this question last week. When you think about this season that we are in, this time of disruption and frustration and anger and all of these kind of things that we see, what story will you tell? And we noted last week, you know, what a shame it would be if the people of God, as the people of God, if our best story was simple, simply an echo of the world story, of the frustration and complaining and accusation and bitterness and everything else, church, we have a better story to tell. And we began last week by simply saying, listen, if we need to repent of accusation or complaining or hopelessness, may it be so in Jesus' name so that we can step into a better story of hope. We left you last week in Romans chapter 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing image. And when I think about that in the context of our church family and God working that and bringing that to fruition, may we overflow by the power of His Holy Spirit. So last week we were talking about what does that mean? We talked about the fact that hope comes from having a Christ-like posture who didn't come to please himself but looked to the needs of others. We talked about a hope that is grounded in God-given endurance. 
And we talked about a hope that doesn't stay in the upper room. So I, I want to continue on in that theme here today as we look at these 2021 goals of looking up. We want to rebuild that upper room in our lives. We want to continue to develop in that area. We want to look out. We want to allow God to turn our attention and to share the hope that we have in Christ in our world. So this is what I would ask you to do right now as we look at God's word together. I want to simply ask you wherever you are to ask God this prayer. God, would you show me my hope initiative? Just ask him. Take a moment right now. God, would you show me my hope initiative? You know, church, my, my original plan was to spend two weeks with you on this theme to say, you know, let's, let's kind of get this ingrained a little bit, this idea of hope initiatives. But as I have been praying, as I have been listening, as I have been hearing even from many of you, I have sensed strongly that God is saying, let's keep driving this bus forward for a while. We got to stay here for a period of time. Uh, and so we're going to hang on to this theme for the next several weeks of hope initiatives. And we want to help you find your hope initiative. This is a whole series about activating the church. And again, if you would just imagine with me right now the power of every one of us finding that place of saying we are not going to wallow in what we haven't had. We are not going to be upset about what has happened in the past, but we are going to believe God and believe that he is giving us a better story. So Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would help us. We ask that you would activate us. We ask Jesus that your scripture would come alive to us, that we would see your hope initiatives unfolding in us and through us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Church, I want you to look at several scriptures with me this morning. Uh, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 3. We've just referenced Acts chapter 1 and 2 that we, we actually preached through a few weeks ago. You can go back and look at that message if you missed it. And we talked about this idea of what began in the upper room, this encounter with the Lord, then leads to a powerful ministry, 3,000 people being saved at one time, uh, and then the Lord begins to daily add to the number of this early and growing church those who are being saved. That is an exciting situation to be a part of. That's something that we pray for, that God would revive His church even now. As we continue on through the book of Acts, we begin to see a pattern that unfolds. And I want you to see if you can catch it as we look at several scriptures. I actually have six scriptures that I want to reference with you today. The first one is in Acts chapter uh, 3. And in verses 1 through 6, we see that Peter and John are actually on their way to pray. So this notion of the upper room, this doesn't go away. This is part of the rhythm of the work that God is doing in the early church. Peter and John, they're on the way to pray, and they are surprised by an opportunity to minister. Now, again, this follows very much in line with the heart and the life of Jesus Christ because he often was doing ministry on the way to doing ministry. So it was often the things that God was doing in that moment. This is exactly what we see here with Peter and John. There's a man who is lame from birth. He's being carried to the temple gate every day so he can beg for money. He sees Peter and John and he catches them and he thinks, you know, if I can get these guys' attention, maybe they've got some money. Uh, and Peter uh, sees this now as the opportunity to minister. 
And so he says, I want you to look at me. And he speaks to him. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. He does this. Uh, the people are amazed. They don't quite know what to do with it. And then Peter takes the opportunity of the amazed crowd and he begins to preach the gospel. And we see another outpouring of God's Spirit in another amazing harvest of ministry. Fast forward to Acts chapter 4. Uh, this is a great chapter. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, uh, this is where they are labeled as unschooled and ordinary men. Uh, and they're brought before the religious authorities, but for, and, and they're rebuked for preaching in the name of Jesus. And I just, I have always taken great comfort uh, in that passage where it says they, they saw they were unschooled and ordinary, but they were amazed and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the chapter that we're talking about. At the end of this encounter, as they come back to the believers, they are again praying, and it says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And if you begin to read what happens after that, you see incredible ministry that happens once again. Fast forward with me to Acts chapter 9. Uh, this is the account of Saul and Ananias. Now at this point in time, Saul has already had uh, this profound encounter with Jesus. You know, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, if you remember this. He's struck blind. He's led by the hand. He's, he has, has, has lost his motivation because he had previously been highly motivated to persecute the church. But now uh, Saul has had this encounter. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Um, what we don't see happening behind the scenes while, while Saul is now led into Jerusalem and he is, uh, or into Damascus, and uh, he's, he's blind, he's waiting, is that there is a, a brother in the Lord named Ananias who is in his upper room praying. And the Lord says, I want you to go, I want you to find this guy Saul, I want you to minister to him and you're going to help launch him in ministry. And, and Saul, uh, 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 Ananias says, I've heard about this guy. I don't think I want to go spend a whole lot of time with him. Uh, but God says, no, I want you to go. I want you to do this. And so Ananias goes to the house of Saul. He places hands on him. He prays for them. There's a manifestation of, of deliverance as something like scales falls off of Saul's eyes. And immediately he gets up and he is baptized and he begins to, begins to regain his strength. So again, we see an encounter that begins in the upper room and ministry that is going to be launched. We see something similar happening in Acts chapter 10, but with different people. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, the backstory here is actually pretty elaborate. We've got a man named Cornelius. He's praying. He says he is a devout person. His prayers are being heard from the Lord. He has an angelic vision that says, you need to go get this guy Peter, Who's going who's gonna to explain to you the things that you're lacking? At the same time, Peter is praying. And Peter has a heavenly vision of the sheet that's being led down three times, if you remember that story. Uh, and then uh, Peter's heart is getting prepared to go on a new ministry that he doesn't expect. God brings these two together. And in verse uh, 27 to 29, while talking with him, Peter goes inside. He founds a large gathering in Cornelius' house. 
He says to them, you are well aware it's against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And if you read through the rest of this chapter, you see that salvation comes to this house. The Holy Spirit is imparted to these people. The Jewish people with Peter are amazed to see the work of God. So we see God is stirring a new thing from the upper room out to the nations. In Acts chapter 13, I've just got two more for you. Bear with me. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. This actually reads that when the church was in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. They're gathered together. This is Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius. Uh, they have been gathered together. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. This is arguably one of the greatest missionary moments in the new church, uh, in, the, in the new and, and young church, because Paul and Barnabas will now become the missionaries who go out and begin taking the gospel message out beyond the realms of Judaism into the Gentile world. In Acts chapter 16, part of their, their mission uh, trip, we see Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, the whole chapter of, of Acts 16 is powerful. We see this Macedonian call. P, uh, Paul is called. He says, I'm going to go. Uh, we see the deliverance of this young woman uh, who has a demonic spirit. This actually lands Paul and Silas in prison. And what are they doing in prison? They're not moping. They're not losing hope. But rather, it says about midnight, they're praying, they're singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. If you read the rest of that chapter, you will find that the jailer comes out, he's suicidal, he thinks his life is forfeit. Uh, Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're still here. He is so moved by their uh, actions that he immediately says, what do I need to do to be saved? What do you see, church, when you read these kind of passages? I've, deliver I've deliberately given you several to chew on this morning because I, I want you to see uh, a, a, I want you to see something that happens throughout the New Testament. There is an example that we get to dig into today, and the title of the message is this. It is Fullness and Fulfillment. We see the fullness of Christ leading to the fulfillment of His mission again and again and again. Now, a few weeks ago, we made this statement that everything in the New Testament moves from the upper room to the nations. Well, let's make sure we're being clear. Let's make sure we remember. What, what are these things? When we talk about the upper room, this is where we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about the power of God. We're talking about all of the things that God does in you as a follower of Christ. This is what your heart is most hungry for. 
It's not simply to have another assignment that you're not sure if you have the energy or the time to fulfill. Your heart is most hungry for the manifest presence of God. And the upper room is all about your first calling, which is ministering to that presence, to receive from him. This is where God gets a greater hold of your heart. When God has a great hold of your heart, he knows that you are indeed a person that he can trust with a new level of ministry. From the upper room to the nations. What are we talking about when we say the nations? We're talking about your mission field. We're talking about your calling. We're talking about your ministry. This is what God does through you. Now this is the pattern of fullness and fulfillment that we see all throughout the New Testament. Now, I've got to be honest with you, church, as I have begun to study some of these things and lean in, I I have come to a, a, a strong conviction that I need to learn from the people that know. In, in much the same way that you don't want to take your car to get serviced by someone who's driving a jalopy that's always broken down. You don't want to eat meals from a skinny cook. You want someone who really kind of appreciate what they do. And you do not want dry facts about prayer and about mission from people who aren't doing it. And that's why I have been digging in and even sharing with you resources from my friends at the College of Prayer uh, books like Church on Fire, uh, Fred Hartley, who's a mentor of mine. These are the guys that I want to learn from because these are the guys that are doing it. These are the ones that are understanding manifest presence of God and what it means to live out the fullness and fulfillment pattern that we see in the New Testament. One of the things that Fred Hartley uh, writes about uh, in this book, Church on Fire, is he says, listen, we need to encounter the fullness of of Christ in the church so that we can fulfill the purposes of Christ on the earth. Now, this is not a unique message. This is not something uh, that has never been said. And frankly, as, as deeper life people in our alliance denomination, we celebrate the deeper life. And so this, this is not a unique message. In fact, uh, one example going all the way back to the time of Jonathan Edwards, who was a key catalyst to the, uh, America's first great awakening, He actually wrote a book that was popular uh, in his day, and I kid you not, this is the title of that book. The title is, An Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People and Extraordinary Prayer of the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth. Now, I am not one to criticize, but Brother John, I think you could go with a shorter title than that because what he's getting at is that this simple old message from the New Testament which is all about fullness and fulfillment. Every example that we just looked at scripturally demonstrates this relationship between the fullness of God's manifest presence and the fulfillment of Christ's work. So if you don't have space in your notes today for giant long book titles from Jonathan Edwards, I would simply encourage you to write down these two words, fullness and fulfillment. You see, in each of the accounts that we look at today in Scripture, each of these accounts is unique 
in its own way. And I think that's important because we're not trying to create a pattern or we're not trying to box God in to, in a way to say, well, this is, the, this is the formula for how God is going to work. But we do see that uh, in each of these accounts that there is uh, the reality of the fullness of the presence of God. We see people either in prayer or on their way to pray or seeking the Lord. We see hungry hearts that are going after the presence of God. And so I would simply pause and ask you this. Are you going after the presence of God today? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going after the presence of God today? And when we see this, not only that there's the fullness, but we see the fulfillment work. There's always going to be spillover. There's always going to be work to do. There's always going to be mission. But we see fullness and we see fulfillment. Uh, this, this scriptural concept is not unique simply to the book of Acts, though we're looking at several of these examples today. We see this in the book of Ephesians. When you read the book of Ephesians, what you see is that the first half of it is all about the fullness of Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, read it. You're going to see fullness of Christ coming up again and again and again. And then verses 4 through 6 is all about the fulfillment of that mission. So we actually see this. If I, was going to, if I would describe it to you, I would say this. The fullness of Christ is all about Christ's work in me. It's all about revival in the church. It's all about the renewing of believers. It's all about the manifestation of Christ to the church. And there's no question in my mind, we need that now more than ever. We pray for this. We're asking the Lord to do this in us and through us right now. The fulfillment is all about Christ's work through me. It's all about evangelism in the community. It's all about missions to the world. It's all about the manifestation of Christ through the church. And when we get this first piece right, the second piece becomes very exciting. But both of these ingredients we see again and again. Why is this important? Well, if I, as your shepherd, am going to ask you the question, what is your hope initiative? I would be doing you a great disservice if all I was asking you to do was get busier or to simply fill up your calendar with more things. In fact, what I'm asking you to do when I ask the question, what is the story that you're going to tell? What is the hope initiative that you are going to embrace? I'm asking you this. Will you find yourself in a place of saying, I want to experience the fulfillment of Christ that comes when I experience the fullness of Christ. I think the implications for us, church, are very, very significant. So let me talk to you for just a few moments yet on what this means for us. I want to take some time and I want to talk to you really for the remainder of this message about what I see as a very significant caution and also a very significant invitation for every one of us that claims Christ as Savior today. The caution looks like this. Most people that I know, when we think about fullness and fulfillment, most people that I know who are serious about doing things for God, they run the risk of outpacing their fullness level in an effort to fulfill 
more than they are ready to take on. Can I say that to you again? Most people that I know who are serious about doing things for God run the risk of outpacing their fullness level in an effort to fulfill more than they are ready to take on. In other words, the public stage that they are pursuing is too large to be sustained by their private prayer. Now, I want you just to think about this for a few moments because you may take this idea of a hope initiative very seriously. You might say, man, pastor, I'm getting excited about this. I'm beginning to dream about this. I'm beginning to to really hear God's voice in the things that he is calling me to do. And may God open up those doors for you. May God activate every one of us to a greater level of hope initiatives for his kingdom. But this is the caution. We must be careful that our public stage does not outpace our upper room. I'm going to let that caution sink in for just a moment because some of us need to hear this. We need to be careful that our public stage does not outpace our upper room. Several people have asked me this week, um, what is my statement on the Ravi Zacharias scandal that has come out? They're probably asking me partly because they want to know how I'm doing. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was a significant hero in my life, had significant impact for me, read a lot of his books, quoted him in a lot of messages. When he passed away, I actually played a video clip uh, of him uh, answering one of the questions that I was addressing uh, in a sermon on that particular week. So clearly, um, I've had a, a connection with him. But now, we are witnessing the posthumous deconstruction of one of the greatest legacies in the evangelical world, and it's now being called potentially the evangelical church's greatest scandal. Well, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, it is hard to know even where to begin when I'm processing something like that. Like you, I prefer to think of my heroes behaving heroically. And there's been a lot of times in my life that that hasn't been the case. There's been a lot of times where the person that you look up to, the the person that you're hoping the best out of, you find actually is struggling, maybe uh, in significant ways that don't seem to match their public persona. Uh, I guess maybe another statement I would make is this. I I find it deeply intimidating when I see, quote-unquote, better men fail. Um, That is something that I think should shake all of us to our core and cause all of us to look and think very introspectively. Uh, I don't really feel the need, as some have in these recent days to pontificate or to compare in ways that would perhaps make me feel or infer or infer that I am somehow superior. Um, I just have not felt the need to do that. I have uh, felt incredible pain, as probably many of you have as well, for Robbie's family. I felt incredible pain for his ministry. I felt incredible pain for his victims. 
And, um, you know, I have a very real sense, probably all of us do, that um, when they talk about you and me when we're gone, I hope that victims is never included in the dialogue. But in this case, it is. So all of those things cause some incredible pain. So what do we do with this? Well, I think amidst probably weeks, if not months, of processing that I would have ahead of me and trying to even figure out how to feel on a number of uh, fronts, I would say this. To my fellow leaders, and we have a lot of leaders in this church. I I actually was thinking about this this week. I, I have the privilege of speaking into the lives of some truly great uh, leaders, um, authors, teachers, ministers. Um, I love you, and I am honored to be in this journey with you. I'm honored that you are a part of our church family. Uh, To you, I would specifically maybe say this in light of today's message. Here is an honest prayer for each one of us who would aspire to do anything of significance for the kingdom of God. And I would ask you to join me in this prayer as you meet with the Lord in your upper room in these coming days, as you meet with your staffs, as you meet with your teams, as you meet with your folks and the, and the, and the sheep that the Lord has given you to shepherd. Uh, perhaps we could pray like this. Lord, don't ever let my ministry outgrow my upper room. That would be a good place for us to be. Lord, don't let my attempts at fulfillment outpace the reality of the fullness of Christ in my life. Lord, don't ever let my talent take me to levels that my character is not yet ready to support. And to any of you who may be struggling with some of this, this news or other things that drain the hopelessness, hope, hope from us and leave us feeling kind of hopeless, I would say this, keep my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of my faith. Hebrews says I should keep my eyes on him who endured incredible things so that I will not grow weary and lose heart, which is not a bad depiction of the way that I feel when I hear bad news like this. Very simply, I guess I would say, Jesus, keep me in the upper room. So that's a caution. That's a caution that I want to share in light of today's message for each of us to consider. Don't let the enemy steal hope when Jesus' mission is to give it. And that brings us to our last little point here, and that is the invitation. We've actually been given a wonderful invitation, and that is that we might dare to dream, that we might have permission to dream. Sometimes big, sometimes small, hope initiatives for Christ and his kingdom. You know, when I think about this in light of the caution that I just gave you, think about this. James 1.27 actually says this way. says it this way. It says, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And then it doesn't say to be on a big platform with a giant audience and write great books that are bestsellers and move people and get giant sums of money and all of that. No, it says this. To look after the orphans and widows 
in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let it be, Holy Spirit. Let it be, Jesus, in us. James 1.27 is a good place to start your dream. 1 Peter 4.10. I'm going I'm to preach a whole message on this passage here in a few weeks, but 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that phrase, faithful stewards of God's grace. It was always about Him. It was always about His kingdom. And then when He invites you to dream a dream that kind of connects your heart and your gifts and your energy to His dream of hope for this world, that's a beautiful thing. But it never really is about us. It's never about us. So that when we get it right, we come to the end of our journey and we get that well done, good and faithful servant and we give all the glory back to Jesus because it was never about us to begin with. But this is the invitation, the, the daring to dream, the permission to dream, the chance to find your hope initiative in your upper room this week. Could you spend some time simply saying, Jesus, these are my hands. Jesus, this is my voice. Jesus, this is my intellect. I give it all to you with the hope that you would light a fire in me and that you would begin to help me see what is my calling, what is my hope initiative. To help get you started, we've begun to compile a few things on our website, sealliancechurch.com. If you go to that address, forward slash hope. And you're going to see some of the things that we are unfolding. Some things that are already underway. Some things that are on the horizon. Some things that are coming soon. Wood for Good. Orphan Care Alliance. Out of the Cold. Community Care. Different things that we're doing with our facility. What has God entrusted to us in this season? So that the story that we tell when we look back will not simply be, well, we were disrupted and couldn't do the things that we wanted to do. No. We embraced the hope initiatives that God put on our hearts. Now, some of these are for some of you. Not all of these are for, are for all of you. For some of you, you're going to have a special call that God gives you. Every one of these things is an opportunity to surrender to Christ, to meet Him in the upper room, to be filled with His presence, filled with His Spirit, and sent out into the world. And when we do this, when we get it right, and we have a gracious God because sometimes we don't get it right, but God is patient with us and He walks with us, and when we get it right, we're going to find a better story as we learn to look up better, as we learn to look out better, as we learn to see our world through the lens and through the eyes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we step into a New Testament rhythm of fullness what God does in me, and fulfillment, what God does through me. And we're going to have a better story to tell. Would you pray with open hands today as we invite the Holy Spirit and we surrender ourselves to Him afresh and anew to see what He might do. Church, buckle up. He has great things in store. Let us pray. Jesus, we are here with hands that are open and hands that are empty. And we are recognizing right now 
that you have work that you desire to do. But Jesus, before we run into the things that we think you want to do through us, we invite you today to do work in us. Jesus, I pray that somebody that may be hearing this message that needs to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would meet you in the upper room. And Jesus, we thank you for forgiveness of sin. We thank you for new life, new mission, new communion with you that you desire to unfold. Jesus, we, we acknowledge that there are some of us listening to this message that are trying to do more in the area of fulfillment than our area of fullness will allow. And so God, we repent of the times that we have tried to create platforms that are, that are too big for the size of our upper room. And we simply pray, God, a, a fullness and an increase in that upper room that would spill over into the ministry that you desire for us to have. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, purify our hearts. Holy Spirit, renew us restore us we receive from you today all that you desire to pour out into us and we offer ourselves back to you now in the strong name of jesus and all god's people said amen